listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 142 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Happy New Year to you all. If I've learned one thing into the start of this new year, it's two things. Firstly, don't promise things on this podcast you can't keep, i.e. make plans to do something when you haven't actually put it any of it in stone yet. If you listen to old podcasts, you know what I mean. And second, running jokes about Rutgers will eventually come back to bite you, but not necessarily in the ways you thought they would. Thomas, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Matt. Is it weird or is it... Now we see that maybe there's optimism about Maryland sports in 2019. I mean, you, you always go into a new year with optimism. Not it is kind of nice. I never do. I think that might just be me, but it does seem like more people are hopeful about Maryland sports right now. It does. The year has started well. It started with a transitive Sugar Bowl win. It started with a win over a ranked team, which they didn't have in 2017. They didn't have at all in 2018. So, you know, that's the best thing that's happened to Maryland basketball since 2016. That makes no sense, but we'll get to that in just a second. And Lamar is also here. We're very happy to now have it, this podcast not just be me and Thomas. I'm getting kind of bored of that myself, personally. Hi, Lamar. Hey, what's up, guys? Glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. I'm glad to have another voice on this podcast, because at a point, Thomas and I just bantering back and forth. It gets a little bit boring, and I, I love this podcast, but, you know, even at a time when I'm editing this, I'd like to hear another voice. Besides my own and Thomas's. So uh, let's start by going through basketball. Lots to get to, a lot of games, but let's focus on the most recent ones, of course. And as we said, there's optimism about Maryland basketball because they actually won a close game and executed down the stretch. As much as we want to bury on Rutgers, and there's a lot of Rutgers talk in this show, to continue running jokes that aren't really funny anymore. Let's focus more on Nebraska because I think that's a more indicative game of what Maryland is going to be facing, especially in the next little stretch in the Big Ten. Uh, there are a lot of things from these recent games that are notable. From the Nebraska game, it was mostly they executed down the stretch and didn't fold up in a close game, which has been a problem for Maryland over the last couple of years, and it didn't happen in this game. And this was a game in which Maryland led by at most four, and they got hit in the mouth a lot by a pretty decent Nebraska team. And this was a young team, Thomas, needing to show that it could win this kind of game. And even if it was a bit unorthodox how they won it, they found a way to win a close game, and that's a big step for a team as Maryland is, one of the youngest in the country. It is. I mean, and that's the that's what Maryland didn't do last year, and that's why Maryland, you know, missed the postseason last year was it didn't win these close games. It didn't find a way. It found a way to lose. And you know, they, they did find a way to lose a couple games already this year, but you know, the the idea that you can take a, a team as good as Nebraska. Nebraska's good. Um, they're not, like, top of the Big Ten. There's this big pack. and um, I'd say between you know, the, three and ten, everybody's pretty much equal. Yeah, I mean, and, and it kind of shakes out that way because the AP poll that came out has Michigan at two, Michigan State at six, Ohio State at 16. I don't think they're that much better than Indiana at 22. And then the Big Ten has the teams ranked 27 through 32. So only four teams, quote-unquote, ranked, but then six teams all in a row just outside the top 25. So really that, you know, that's three through 10 is just this big pack. And, you know, to, to get back to where you want to go, you have to do really well against that group, take care of business against the lower group. And Maryland's off to a pretty good start there. The Nebraska game, I said massive on Twitter. I got some heat for that. I think it's more that if they lose that game, it just sets a tone of pessimism for the whole rest of the season. If a team like that comes in, you can't beat them because there's going to be a lot, lot more games like that. I mean, it feels like every game for Maryland, aside from playing, well, they don't play Rutgers again, but, you know, aside from playing Penn State and Illinois and maybe Northwestern, is going to be a game like this against a team that's basically at Maryland's level. I mean, there's only two standout teams in the Big Ten this year, and then everybody else is basically the same. We've seen Nebraska, just to focus on that for a second, they're 1-3 in conference play, but their three losses are at Minnesota close, at Iowa close, and at Maryland close. You know, that's kind of what the Big Ten is this year. And for Maryland to right now be 3-1 and one in the conference play, I mean, yes, they play Penn State and Rutgers, and those both teams are not very good. But they need to beat teams like Nebraska, and 
if there's any team who you kind of want to play first, it's probably Nebraska because the others have more of a pedigree of doing it. You know what I mean? They kind of got a soft landing when it came to how their conference schedule played out before they go into the stretch of death. And Lamar, I think a lot of that comes down to just they didn't look flustered down the stretch. They executed down the stretch. And, and in this Nebraska game, there were a lot of things that you could like. I think number one of those, they actually proved they're not as bad of a three-point shooting team as most of us thought. They made better shot selections, and they actually shot the ball really well from three against a very good three-point defense. But also, not just executing down the stretch. But we've seen the evolution of this team from what it started as to what it is now. And, we okay, let's, let's get to Bruno Fernando because I want to spend – I don't want to spend too much time talking about him, but it's hard not to. The improvement from him from last year to this year is light years. And in my time following Maryland basketball, I've not seen a player take a huge step from year one to year two like Bruno Fernando has. And that changes the ceiling of this Maryland team because – this, this Bruno Fernando that we expected to get, we've gotten it, and then we've gotten another two levels of it. Yeah, Bruno has hit another level this season. Uh, Coach Sturgeon has called him the most improved player in college basketball this season. And it's hard for me to come up with another player off the top of my head that hits that mark, uh, especially this last game where he, uh, against Rutgers, of obviously it's still Rutgers, but five assists is nothing to sneeze at. That's a, That was the team high for the game. He's really learned throughout the season how to really deal with these double teams and how he's learning how different teams are going to double him. And if he can continue to successfully get out of those all season, and there was one play, the Rutgers game, where the double team was coming to his right, and he spun extremely fast uh, to the left to make the move. And it was just like indicative of his growth to an extent that and the uh, kick out to Anthony Cowan when he was pretty much falling out of bounds were amazing plays to watch and make um, Moreover, as a team. Yeah, this is a team that's improved since the beginning. Uh, I come back a little to what uh, something that was said in some of the pregame uh, preseason interviews is like these freshmen have taken the fact that the team didn't make the playoffs. The team didn't make the postseason last year. They've like taken that upon themselves as well, and it shows in games like Nebraska, where uh, Jalen Smith ends up making the last seven points for the game and wins it. Um, and like you said, they're an improving three-point shooting team. I was surprised to do research for tomorrow's game, the uh, Tuesday's game, depending on when you watch this uh, oh, against listen, Minnesota. This isn't a video podcast yet. You're right. You're right. Uh, but yeah, we rebound. Like the team is now like an average three-point shooting team in the league, which is surprising considering where this team started and how it didn't seem like it. it this was going to be that type of three-point shooting team, but they're taking better shots. They're making more of them, and the freshmen who make up the majority of the the. Uh, the lineup at this point, uh, the rotation, uh, are getting more confident in themselves and, like, the scheme and is showing. It seems like Maryland players are executing an offense. I don't know the last time we said that. Uh, Thomas, I want to focus on Bruno Fernando firstly. The, the only shame of it is is that means that we get two more months of Bruno Fernando and then he's going to the NBA, obviously. But the fact that you got two years of Bruno Fernando, no one expected to get more than one, so we'll take it as it comes. But... In terms of his improvement, I have not been following modern basketball that long. If you've been following it for longer, tell me if you've ever seen a player take the step from year one to year two like Bruno Fernando has, because I can't even think of one. Everything he does, his footwork is incredible for a big guy. He has great passing. Obviously, you don't want to get into a fight with him. Poor Montez Mathis just got the fear of God in him and then had nothing happen the rest of the game when he decided to cross Bruno Fernando. I joked that I saw nothing scarier in the Shawshank Redemption than that look from Bruno Fernando. And it's true. But for him, and also especially now that he's found a way to play with Jalen Smith better than ever before, we've seen now that Maryland has different looks that they could go to. And as much as you want to have Smith and Fernando on the floor at the same time because they're two of your best players, they don't need to necessarily have them both on the floor at the same time to be successful. And now when they are, it's not as much of a liability as it was earlier in the season. And that shows that this team has grown massively in the first 15 games from where they started to where they are now. Yeah, I mean, just to go on on Bruno, um, you know, I, I don't watch enough of national college basketball to figure out who's improved the most. But 
Bruno's just improved on every part of his game um, from footwork and scoring inside, diff, you know, adding more post moves um, to passing out of double teams. To How about, how about discipline? Because remember last year we complained yeah. he always got into foul trouble? When's he ever been in foul trouble this year? Almost never. Other than the first couple of games. That was that was a worry in the first few games, but it hasn't been much of one since. Um, yeah, I mean, that was always kind of the big thing with Fernando going into the year was he he learned to play less than 100 miles an hour. He learned to sort of play within himself and, you know, let his passion take over when it must, like it, like it did against Nebraska. I mean, you saw him. He was, like, slapping the floor. He was yelling after every you know time he got fouled it was he was leading you know, the discussions was, in the huddles too it was it was that? peak bruno it was peak bruno yeah i mean he, he's exciting and now he's got the game that's just as exciting as you know you know how often his we energy. talk about players that go to the nba too early and it's clear well bruno was the one of the players that made the best decision ever to come back to school cuz he went from a second round pick to a lottery pick almost guaranteed the way that he's playing this year, and that's yeah. I mean, also because this both. year, this year is a little weaker for bigs, and even so in a normal year for bigs, he'd still be a, probably a lottery pick because I don't know how you can't watch that as an NBA scout and salivate at the potential. Yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, especially the passing. I think is one that um, will help him tremendously at the next level. He will need to show more of at least a mid-range jumper um, either this season or in the draft process. But I know he's got a mid-range jumper. I've seen him shoot threes. Um, he doesn't have to do them in the game. He wants to, but he doesn't have to, and it's not the best thing. So, well, Jalen, you know, that, that's in his guy taking threes now. So, uh, can yeah. we talk about some of the other freshmen? I just don't want to focus on Bruno for too long, but it's hard not to. Um, Jalen Smith has improved too. There's obviously, I think, more holes in this game because he's a freshman, but he's certainly improved. He's starting to figure some things out. And also the guards, the freshman guards, Eric Ayala. I mean, the, the funniest thing about listening to the commentary on Wednesday night when they were playing Nebraska, Seth Davis was incensed that Anthony Cowan was playing off the ball, even forgetting that Melo Trimble did that when he was a junior and Anthony Cowan was a freshman. But it helps that you could have Eric Ayala, who actually can run the point and is now a much better shooter than he was. And you're now starting to get big plays from Sorrell Smith, who had a great game against Rutgers, and Ricky Lindo, who's chipped in defensively. All of the freshmen have taken the leap. And while Bruno Fernando is going to take the headlines as the most improved player, and Jalen Smith is obviously as flashy as it could be because of the frame and the skill set, it's the other freshmen that, as they have improved, Maryland's level has certainly improved. I think Lindo, over the last few games, has been almost the story to me. Just uh... Hello, great defensive play at the end against Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, that, and then when Jalen Smith was out against Radford, you know, that game was kind of close until it wasn't. Ricky Lindo had eight points and ten boards the first, you know, in the first game where he was really asked to do a lot. He played, I think, 23 was minutes. Was anybody that watching game. that Radford game? Because it was going at the same time as the semifinals. I mean, I know the yeah, semifinals but it was, were blowouts, but still. Yeah, but, well, it was that first game that was a super blowout and that didn't get it at all interesting. Yes. The second one got a little interesting. Towards but, the end. But for Ricky Lindo to become that third big man that can play, you know, in the post, can defend other bigs. Um, he's got the length to, you know, defend away from the basket as well. I mean, he's added a lot to his game throughout this season, and it's it's clear that Turgeon trusts him more now than he, he ever has, and that's huge, especially just these last couple conference games where Maryland has, A, stretched out the rotation, and B, played two bigs almost exclusively. Um, Which, you can't blame Mark Turgeon for doing that, but Lindo's improvement, is that the most important Lindo's thing improvement makes that possible. Lindo's improvement makes that possible, is to, to go two bigs and to stretch out the rotation like that. Yeah, it, it does. And he reclassified to this year, and how important is that now in hindsight? It's crazy how these little moves end up becoming big deals, and Ricky Lindo probably is one of them. Lamar, on the other, on the other freshman, uh, there are so many things that we could talk about with all of them and how they've improved, but we'll let you pick out which one you want to talk about. I think Eric Ayala 
playing on the ball more with Anthony Cowan playing off the ball is interesting. And Anthony Cowan struggled off the ball because he's not used to doing that. But also, you think about how Ayala's distributed, how he shot the ball better. Aaron Wiggins is shooting the ball better. Sorrell Smith, as you said, had a great game against Rutgers. It's Rutgers. But the, these freshmen improving are really, really important to raise Maryland's ceiling because they were, they're going to go as far as they take them. And right now, they could go pretty far if they continue to play like this. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to start with Sorrell Smith because he – uh, just to stick with the bench guys because they've really changed the way that this team operates. Um, there were the first couple games, it was like a top, the top six had all the production with Aaron Wiggins being that sixth player. Um, Wiggins is comfortable. He now doesn't have like, I'll get to Wiggins and Ayala in a second, but Cyril Smith coming off the bench, being able to give solid minutes and whether or not he's scoring every game, but being not like a negative defensively and like coming up with stills, just being present and being active has really lengthened the rotations as well. Uh, and then for him to have stretches like he did against Rutgers where he had seven straight points, ends up with 11, I think, um, was really good to see for his progression. It's like obviously Rutgers is still one of those teams where it's easier to get your uh, – confidence up but as long as he can keep games like that mixing them in and like while being consistent defensively Maryland's going to be a stronger team in terms of Aaron Wiggins uh, he you want him to look more for a shot especially when uh the starters are off the court and it's just like him and Eric Ayala running the show essentially uh you'd like him to look more for a shot in those situations but he's displayed a comfort level that whether or not he's scoring, he's always going to make an impact. Uh, he got, like, his five towards the end of the last game, but he was always present and always making plays. And Eric Ayala has just been impressive. Uh, he is – he's really taken over that, ball, like, primary ball handler role. And while him and Anthony Cowan are still working out the kinks of playing next to each other, uh, watching – Eric get more confident in that role, uh, becoming a better shooter, and taking more of the playmaking roles have been uh, has been a positive sign for sure for the freshmen. Well, you needed that because Anthony Cowan was run into the ground when no one else could run the ball, and now Anthony Cowan has somebody else who could do it for him, whether he's on the floor or off the floor. And I know that there's some consternation about Anthony Cowan not doing great off the ball, but that's something you can work out. That's something that comes with time. And it happened with Mello Trimble and Anthony Cowan a couple of years ago. It's going to happen the same way here in many regards. So now I ask Thomas, oh, first of all, you shouldn't mention even Bender's actually playing more now. And apparently he wasn't extremely healthy. But even adding him in for five, six minutes lengthens the rotation. And Mark Turgeon could trust putting him in. So that's obviously another positive, too. But now I ask what the ceiling of this team is because they're 3-1 in conference play. But they're now about to go into the stretch of utter doom and death, which, again, you would not have necessarily expected that – this is going to be the stretch of death and murder because some teams have overly impressed, I think, in this stretch. But now, what do you think the ceiling of this team is? I don't think it's necessarily changed that much, but we're all starting to think, you know what, maybe this team can be even better than we thought, maybe a level above where we thought they were because we now see what they're like as they're starting to fully form and we start to see the ceilings of these players. In many cases, the young players are higher than we might have thought. That is a tough question just in in terms of how the Big Ten shapes up. Like, I still think it's Michigan, Michigan State, and then that big pack of 3 to 10. But do you I don't see Maryland jumping out of that than, pack, but see, I think they can. Do you not see that they can now maybe perhaps lead it as opposed to being more in the middle of it? I always – you see, I, always, I thought going into the year that their ceiling was perhaps leading that pack. And, you know – after the Seton Hall loss, I didn't think they had that at all in them, and now I do again. Um, I think most likely they probably finish maybe in the top half of that pack, um, maybe in the middle of it, probably in the NCAA tournament mix, at least in the discussion. Um, just most likely. And then the ceiling is, yeah, top four in the conference again kind of thing. 
think, um, they, can, I think they can reach it, but these are the games where they're going to prove that they can reach it. Because beating yeah, up on so this is one thing, you know. So this stretch here, the next three games, I think you kind of have – you don't have to, but you, it really helps you if you win two of the next three, which is – at Minnesota, who's receiving votes this week. That's a hard uh, place to win. And a much better Maryland mm-hmm. team lost to a much worse Minnesota team in that building. I know none of you want to remember that, but that did happen. Yeah, but then the following year, an NCAA tournament Maryland team beat an NCAA tournament Minnesota team in that building. That was the Justin Jackson game. This is true. But so I'm saying so it, it is win doable. in that building. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. That will not be an easy win. Um, and then you come back home. You know, Indiana is going to be ranked coming into the building. And then Wisconsin next week is Could just outside the rankings right now. Could be ranked this time next week. Do you um, want to see Bruno Fernando body Romeo Langford with every fiber of your being? Because I kind of do. Well, it wouldn't be Langford specifically. It I know, con- but just, just for fantasy's sake. I'd rather see it against Ethan Happ, to be honest. Well, that too. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that might be. Well, Maryland's already beaten Ethan Happ a couple of times, so I don't feel that as much. As, well, they also have a uh, conference tournament loss with Bench against Ethan Hat now. This is this is true. This is true. But, I mean, you could kind of throw that last season out in almost in many ways. I'm kind of forgetting it even happened. But then after well, those three games, then it gets even more fun because then they go yeah. to Ohio State and then to Michigan State. Yeah, and as you may know, uh, Mark Turgeon has never beaten a ranked team on the road. Both of yeah. those teams... Both of those teams are ranked now, and it would take almost. It would probably take like two losses for Ohio State to not be ranked when they go there. I don't even know. And it would take a lot for Michigan State to not be ranked. So good luck with that. Yeah. um, Again, Michigan State is really, really good. They're as good as we thought they were going to be. I'm almost in in line to say, like, if you can win three of the five, most people are probably not going to be too bad. If you can win four of the five, congratulations. This team is definitely going to get a lot more love than I think it's getting now. And if you win five of five, well, stop the hype train because we're going to uh, be running away with it. But I th- let's, let's focus on Minnesota. We know it's closer to the game than we normally like to record podcasts. But when you look at this game, Minnesota last year was an utter train wreck. They're not an utter train wreck this year. Uh, but these are the kind of games that Maryland probably has a little bit more talent on paper. It's a matter of whether they can execute in a hostile environment. And we've seen now that they can execute in an end of game situation. Can they now execute an end of game situation, the close game on the road? That's not something we've seen a Mark Turgeon team do in many years. This is going to be the first real test of that. Purdue, they failed, but now they have another chance to get at that, right? Yeah. And Jordan Murphy is one of the, he's probably the most unique player to me in the big 10. He's, you know, he's just kind of all over the place. And, how he matches up with Maryland's big guys is fascinating to me. You know, Maryland uh, just didn't have much of an answer for him last year, but they didn't. It didn't really matter because um, Minnesota did. They did. It was it was in College Park. Jordan Murphy went off, and the rest of Minnesota was horrible. Um, at least that's how I remember it. But you know, Amir Coffey's back, and he's he's their leading scorer. He's averaging almost sixteen a game, and so they'll have, you know, two different guys to stop. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to win on the road, and that's what separated Maryland from, you know, reaching its potential in the last couple of years. So it is it is a big game. It's not a must win, but it's it's a big deal. I think if they win, we'll probably have much fewer emotional swings than we'll have if they lose. I think that's probably it's not it's not a game that if you win you're going to be like oh my god and if you lose it's like oh you know it's going to be one of those games where there's more emotional turmoil if there's turmoil in the sense that there's emotional shifts if you lose rather than you win but if Maryland can win that game it shows you that they have a level that can beat a few of these other teams in this pack which I think is important because when you get to playing uh, Lamar, when you get to play Indiana and Wisconsin and some of these better teams, they've got difference-making players. And, and Minnesota does, but they don't have it on the same sort of level as Romeo Langford, Ethan Happ, any number of players on Ohio State, and then, of course, Michigan State. And for that, I think Maryland, to win this game, to win a game against a team similar to them on the road, is something that they probably still have to prove to themselves that they can do. Because they know they can do it at home. 
and we'll get to something about home environment in a second, but that's what this Minnesota game is interesting to me for, is that can they beat a team that is at a similar level to them, but probably is not as talented as them? Can they go in there and execute and get out of there with a win? Doesn't have to be pretty, but can they do that on the road against a team that's similar to them? If they can do that, then that is another step in the growth of this team that I think we just haven't seen yet. But if we see that, then you could start to think about other things that this team is capable of. Yeah, you're right. This is definitely a big game for, especially this, this such a young team. I think it's like the fourth youngest team in college basketball or the something crazy like that. Three forty nine. I think there are three. Yep, three hundred fifty three. 353, so that would be the fifth youngest team in D1, according to Ken Palm experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to beat a team that's similar to themselves on the road is something that they definitely still need to prove to themselves, especially after the Purdue loss. So this is a way to kind of, like, say, all right, we didn't execute down the road, down the stretch in Purdue, but that doesn't have to be the same case this time. And, like, I think they've grown since that Purdue game, which in many ways was a good loss to get out of the way. Um, not a good loss, but like a good thing for this Tina experience earlier on rather than right now. So they have experience in a similar environment. Obviously, uh, no road game is going to be easy. And to pull this one out, they're really going to need to, whether or not they're perfect, uh, they need to find a way to execute down the stretch. Uh, this is a game that they'll probably be in unless something crazy happens early. Again, imagine um, this game being within a 10-point swing, five the other way, because that was basically what Nebraska was yeah. outside of one stretch where they went up by eight, and Maryland came back in that stretch. Uh, yeah, so it's probably going to be around there. To that game and then just lost it down the stretch. If they can play as they played against Purdue, except for the end, they probably will win. But that's not a given when you go on the road and this team is so young and they haven't done anything like that. And that's what I'm interested in to see if they can do that. And then, I mean, we're not going to podcast between the Indiana and Wisconsin games. We'll do it afterwards. And just, I want to now talk about something that people are mentioning, which is the environment at Xfinity Center and attendance. I don't know why this is something that we're getting our dander up about, but the Nebraska game was the day after New Year's with a 6.30 start that is a TV start and the students aren't there. Why did you think that the attendance was going to be great? Indiana and Wisconsin will have much better attendance, and when the students show up, the place will be full. I don't know why attendance is a thing we're talking about. I, 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 for rooting for teams that legitimately had attendance problems in the past, this is a non-starter of an issue. And Xfinity Center still ended up being pretty loud when the end-of-game situation came up. That was The Nebraska game was such a weird circumstance because of the day it was and the time. 6.30 start times are terrible, and they're only there for TV. So I can't really blame Maryland much for that. Indiana and Wisconsin will be much better in terms of that. The Indiana game, I think, starts at 8.30. It's on a Friday night. And Wisconsin's on a Monday, but it starts at 7. So I think that they'll have a much better chance of getting the attendance that people like, air quotes, in that sort of way. Do you have any thoughts on attendance, Thomas, or did I cover everything there? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, the, you know, I, I was at the Indiana game two years ago when I think Indiana was, well, they were unranked at the time, um, but... Yeah, it was a Tuesday night on that season. It was, yeah, it was a Tuesday night. night. It was it was around this time of year, and the place was packed. And Indiana. Maryland just hasn't been packed for any game except Virginia this year. And I think, you know, a few of the games have been, you know, it, it feels like Xfinity's half full. They announce a crowd of, like, 12,000, which would be two-thirds full. But um, Again, attendance in general a game Saturday, is a little down. If you don't want to go, okay, that's fine because of last year. It's understandable. If you don't want to go to game against Radford while the college football playoff semifinals are going on over the weekend of Christmas and New Year's, I'm not going to blame you for that. If you find it hard to get to Xfinity Center on a Wednesday night at 6.30 with traffic in D.C., I can't blame you for that. When Maryland play, and Nebraska is not a team that's exactly going to get the eyes up, you know, for Maryland fans. Indiana now, however, that will. But again, once the students return, which, again, Maryland also has the longest winter break of almost any school in the world. So that's another thing that happens, and the students are such a huge part of the atmosphere at Xfinity Center. Uh, again, the Indiana attendance is going to be fine. Wisconsin attendance is going to be fine. Attendance is not something you should really be worrying about. When it, when it matters most and the big teams come in, they will be pretty much fine in terms of attendance. They will have sellouts later in the year. Michigan yeah, I do agree. I think, it's, I think it's just it is – 
warranted to be a little concerned about it because it's been down all year after, you know, last year was, you know, a disappointment. Even for the big-ish games like Penn State, um, you know, it wasn't Yeah, but great. it's not like Penn State in football. I mean, like, I, I get it. I'll say that I understand it, and they, people needed to get into this team. Now I think they're probably more into this team. If they come back and they win against Minnesota, they'll be into this team more. And, again, teams like Indiana raise the eyebrows more than Nebraska and Penn State and basketball do. And let's be fair. Always. fans are discerning. Yeah. So – I don't have any issues with attendance. Yeah, yeah, so I'm not super concerned. I just understand where, where it comes from. I understand where it comes from, too. It doesn't mean I think the worry is legitimate. So whatever yeah. the case may be, we'll talk about attendance more if it certainly becomes an issue in the future. Is there anything else on men's basketball we'd like to get to before we shift to women, Thomas? I think we covered everything. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun to actually hope that Maryland basketball is turning a corner for once. Uh, now, remember what I said? If you keep making fun of Rutgers, at some point it will eventually bite you. Yeah, it did with women's basketball. Uh, they, yeah, they, they played Rutgers on New Year's Eve in a sleepy game and lost. And when I checked the score, I'm like, wait, what happened? I think most of Maryland was probably wondering that, too. What the heck happened here? And then they followed up with a game against Ohio State, who is not very good. Well, when you look at their record. And they took a while to put them away. And it took until the end of the game to put them away. Uh, maybe this isn't a bad thing for Brenda Freeze. It shows that this team has a little bit of ways to go, Thomas. But still... Those are two mildly worrying games for a team that was fourth in the country. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the first three Big Ten games have all been close games against unranked teams with two of them at home and one of them a loss. So, I mean, it's definitely worrying. Like, this is not something that Maryland has had to deal with that much. You know, last year when they weren't, you know, peak Maryland, they were never in the top ten or never anyone near it. Um, you know, they lost a few conference games, but this is a whole different team. This, this team was number four in the country and it's, they're surprising results. It's a pretty young team and growing pains do happen. And the teams that they're playing are generally more experienced. I don't, I don't know what kind of label to give Ohio state, Ohio state. They have six is, grad transfers. Ohio State is game. freshman and grad transfers, and That's it's weird. It's the strangest mishmash I've seen in this sport. Um, it um, would definitely, yeah, I think I could say that it, it was definitely a weird team just to see that graphic. I'm like, I to be fair, I'm not going in prepared. I'm just watching these games and going, like, "What? That doesn't make any sense." But th- they struggled to put them away. And there were large stretches in the second half. They had a third quarter. I think they were outscored by like 10. And they just didn't play very well. Now, again, you could also say it's freshmen. They came into at a conference play so red hot that maybe they took their level down a little bit. And they thought maybe they could coast more than they could. The Rutgers game, I thought, was going to shock them into blowing somebody out. And they haven't done that. So now they have it interesting. But if there's any good news about this, Thomas, is that Women's college basketball is actually kind of a bloodbath this year. And the Big Ten specifically is kind of a bloodbath this year because everybody's losing to everybody. And so Maryland's not immune to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's probably – it was probably going to be for the best if Maryland didn't, didn't go undefeated just because, you know, they're not I – don't, I don't think they were ever good enough to wear that label. You know, someone was probably going to knock them off. It happened earlier than I thought it would. It was not the team that I thought it would be. But, you know, they get to shake that off now. There aren't really any perfect teams in women's college basketball, as you know, as we've seen with UConn losing and UConn beat Dame Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame, I still think, is the best team. But, you know, they're obviously not invincible either. But even in the big so everybody who was good lost, like weird games. Like yeah, I mean the whole lost. Big Ten after the whole Big Ten after Maryland to me was very imperfect. Just going into the year, and even the teams that you thought, you know, would be in the mix like Minnesota and Iowa, they've lost some head scratching games throughout the year. So, yeah, I mean Maryland's going to get a lot of these teams who are kind of tough to play, but they're not super talented, and you know, like Nebraska tomorrow night. It's the same kind of thing, and they'll they'll have to really start 
you know, taking care of some of these teams and that playing a full 40 minutes. And they just have not played a full 40 minutes really all year. Yeah, I, you can see that, except for South Carolina. Even though they South started. South Carolina, well, they, they, they played the last 35 minutes. Okay, 35 minutes. I'll yeah. get that. All right. But, you know, I think that if you're going to get those kind of games out of your system now, you might as well do it in January as opposed to doing it in February. So I, I, I think that there's some positives for it, but I didn't expect that when I was watching that game against Ohio State for Maryland to struggle in many ways as they were. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well from deep. I don't know if that's necessarily a strength of this team, and that was really the problem. They just didn't shoot the ball particularly well. That could be. I mean, they have shooters, thing. but the shooters kind of went cold, and they don't they don't have a ton of depth, and they don't have a ton of you know deep threats. So again, I think some of these things can be worked out as time goes on. But we'll have to see whether they can work it out. There's, there's reason to believe that they can, but we will see. It was just a bit surprising to see them lose to Rutgers on New Year's Eve at home randomly and then struggle against a team in Ohio State that has, I believe, four wins. Slightly an issue, even though Ohio State, you know, was the best team in the Big Ten for a while. So anything else in women's basketball? I, I think that's pretty much it. They play Nebraska, they, they play Michigan. Brenda Freeze is at 499 wins. Yeah, so she could get it. Tonight, or until tomorrow night, whatever the hell the game is. Yeah, so, and 499 was the career total for Chris Weller, who she replaced at Maryland. Brandon Cruz so, is also a very good coach, so. Yes. Very exciting for her, and she'll get win 500 probably tomorrow night. But And that's the, here's the other thing, though, is if they, if they beat Rutgers, that's 499, and then Ohio State is 500 at home. Yeah. Instead, if they get 500, first chance is on the road. I know. I know, but still. I mean, I, I, semantics like that don't really matter to me, but, you know, that is what it is. Uh, let's go to football now, and can we talk about how amazing a transitive Sugar Bowl win is, Thomas? That was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it, it puts the capper on a whole season where the best thing that happened to Maryland was beating Texas. Well, it puts a capper and, on the last two years where Maryland has beaten Texas twice. And really done nothing else. I don't know if anybody else has beaten Texas. Oklahoma has beaten Texas twice. But beyond that, I don't think anybody else has beaten Texas twice. That's hilarious. And if you take anything away from the middle decade of the 2010s for Maryland football, they beat Texas twice when they had no And then also the only team Maryland has beaten twice in the last two years is Minnesota. This is true. They haven't even beaten Rutgers twice. Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? So it's Minnesota and Texas. Where in the world did you get that in football? Maryland in the mid-2010s. It's bizarro world. I mean, imagine telling somebody in the mid-1990s that Maryland is not only going to be in the Big Ten, but it's going to beat Texas twice in two years and not make a bowl game either year. They probably would have gone, wait a minute, hold on, slow down a second. Uh, Lamar, I think that was probably my favorite part of bowl season, was watching Texas body Georgia. And Georgia clearly didn't really want to play in the Sugar Bowl because they thought they should have been in the playoff. But... To get Maryland to now have a transitive win over Texas and a transitive win over the Sugar Bowl champion uh, is just crazy. It makes no sense. And it's probably the only thing about college football's bowl season that has been remotely interesting. Yeah, that uh, always good for transitive wins. I love that. Maybe my favorite type of sports argument. The transitive argument is like we're better than X because we did X. Here's the only thing about transitive arguments. Have you ever heard it at anything other than college football? It's the only sport where we ever talk seriously about transitive wins. Yeah. No, I don't think I have heard it in like other sports, bro. Uh, I think like it's joked about in college basketball, but like not like it's taken seriously in college football. And I kind of love that. It, it's so weird because that, that was, that was just a fun bowl game to watch because Bevo almost killed a dog. And then, like, Bevo can't kill a turtle. So if Bevo tries to charge Testudo, he probably would have not been able to do anything, which is, again, another funny thing that happened in college football that I enjoyed. Well, also, we could say that Mike Lockley hung a 50 spot against Oklahoma, but everybody does that. And we're recording this before the national title game. But Mike Lockley can mic drop his way out of Alabama. And, I mean, is that not the best thing that's happened to Maryland football in a long time? Is Mike Lockley just basically running over everybody with Alabama? And then coming back to Maryland and being everybody's now starting to be excited, like, oh, maybe Maryland could do that one day. That would be funny. But, I mean, it's like we're watching Mike Loxley in Alabama, and Maryland fans are actually now somewhat rooting for Alabama if you didn't already have a rooting interest in them prior. And, Thomas, I think that's still kind of funny. 
I mean, personally, I still, I'm still rooting against Bama. I, I rooted against him in the semifinal because then I was like, ah, oh, well, then Mike Loxley gets another week to to Maryland stuff. Um, I don't know, but it it would take the sting out of Bama just winning another title. Maybe. Um, for me, it would. I mean, my I have family members that went to Alabama, so I've always been slightly more for them than most other people because I've seen what an Alabama fan, a diehard Alabama fan, is like in person. Like, as as in our circle, unless you have family or friends that root for them, you see it from the outside and you go, oh, this is this caricature. It's all people calling him the Paul Feinbaum show. And then in my family, I have actually somebody who's like that, which, again, it makes me laugh, and I text him during games, and it's hilarious. It, when Alabama was up 28 to whatever they were, I was texting him, the game was over, and he's like, no, it's not. And I'm looking at him like he's crazy because the game was pretty clearly over. But anyway, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to have Mike Loxley doing Maryland things now, but him running up the score in a national championship game isn't exactly a bad look for Maryland. There are a couple of Maryland football things I want to mention. Firstly, uh, Thomas, there's the comments that Mike Loxley made about not wanting to get guys who had committed to Alabama to flip. And he said it was out of loyalty to Nick Saban who helped – um, reinvigorate his career. And I thought that that was a little interesting thing that he said publicly because college football recruiting is cutthroat and nasty. And to see somebody actually kind of be dignified about it, as Mike Loxley had a lot of guys he did end up getting to go to Alabama that could have easily kind of followed him to Maryland if he wanted to. And he didn't go for that, which I found interesting that he said it publicly. Yeah, well, the other the part of it that kind of struck me is that he, he said it kind of would have felt dishonest had he been you know recruiting them to Alabama and telling them that Alabama was the best place for them and then suddenly now because he's working for Maryland to tell them Maryland was the best place for them like he said it, it wouldn't have felt right and I kind of get it um you know I'm not I'm not sure what I would have done I think I would have said just if you know here's what I'm selling if it's something that interests you we can talk but if not Bama's going to be a good place for you um so probably like a similar kind of thing um yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, and I, I think it's it's turned into a pretty to a better look for Loxley than I expected. Like that, those comments have been more well received by Maryland fans than I thought they would be. Maybe it's so, because Maryland fans want to believe that the Mike Loxley era is going to be finally something good for Maryland football. So every comment is going to be spun well. And if you're like that, I can't blame you. But it does look like a pretty um, gregarious thing that he's doing and again college football recruiting is cutthroat so anything that isn't like that is kind of viewed as like wow that's a surprise and so that's kind of what Mike Loxley's uh taking the view of it and I can understand that and if he if he had tried no one would have blamed him because he is the DMV guy and these DMV guys DeMarco Helens being one was, was going to Alabama and you know outside of Mike Loxley Alabama's a great program so they're going to get some of them but they might not get as many of them as they would have gotten if it wasn't for Mike Loxley's presence so it's an interesting little thing to take note of. And maybe that's something that gets looked upon higher when he goes in and recruits on behalf of Maryland and he say, this is a man who's going to keep his word. So that's another thing. Maybe it's these little things that we take a look at when otherwise nothing's really happening with Maryland football. Uh, there was a story, Lamar, that came out as we were basically recording this, that Maryland had, I think, what was it, 12 or 13 players put their names in the transfer portal? And there were some notable names that put their names in the transfer portal. Uh, Lorenzo Harrison was one. Tyrell Pigram was one. And we were wondering, I was openly wondering throughout most of the season, how many people would actually transfer out. And some of Mike Locks' biggest recruiting jobs were to keep most of the players here. And it seems like he has kept a lot of defections from happening. And just to see some of those names is very interesting now in hindsight, knowing that most of them aren't going to actually leave. Yeah, uh, so 13 players put their names in. Uh, of those people who put their names in, none of them who played major roles last year have left them in. Um, that includes Piggy, uh, Lorenzo Harrison, uh, DJ Turner, Bryce Brand, Cam Spence, Rayshad Lewis, Max Bordenslager. And to be honest, I really thought Bordenslager was gone. He had the uh, season-ending injury like four games in. I was like, oh, it makes sense. He just continue on. But it's good to see that uh, – Coach Loxley was actually able to do that inside recruiting and like to have the players who just went through everything they just went through 
to buy in on that first level, it gives a little bit more confidence from the outside looking in. It definitely does. It's kind of odd when you look at the fact that we all thought there was going to be some, and there still will be some attrition, but the fact that we didn't see anything really happen right after the fact, it's, it's kind of nice. You know, that's weird and college football-y, and of course, you know, when we see that, you know, I thought, oh, Ohio State's not going to be great anymore, and then Justin Fields goes there, and you're just like, oh, this is what you have to deal with in the Big Ten East when nothing else is – when you're starting to feel a little bit good about Maryland football, then that happens. Although, we can say, Michigan getting bodied by Florida was kind of hilarious. I know a lot of players from Michigan that could have played didn't play because the Peach Bowl doesn't mean anything when you're not in the playoff, but I still laughed at that. And I have more sympathy to Michigan than most other people would, but that was still hilarious. And Trace McSorley's final game for Penn State being a nice fat loss to Kentucky of all teams, that was another thing that I enjoyed. Is there anything else you enjoyed from bowl season, Thomas? There wasn't much. I actually, I didn't watch as much of this bowl season as I would have otherwise. You should not have. I think it's, I think it's nice to, to not have to hear about UCF for too much more. Oh, Um, I, I still do. I follow enough people that are UCF fans or went to UCF. And I, I mean, as I have said, and we'll take to the grave, if, Kasim Hill did not get hurt in that game against UCF last year. Maryland would have beaten them. I don't know whether they would have beaten them. I like to say that because it's funny to say. But mostly, uh, Maryland would not have had that game go the way it did if Kasim Hill didn't get hurt. But, you know, I-, I can understand what the UCF fans are griping about. They're still a pretty good team. But the fact that they're now the team in the group of five, like Boise State used to be and TCU used to be and Utah had the years, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's kind of getting annoying. But... I mean, UCF's still going to be fine. They play Stanford and Pitt next year, and they're still going to be the premier group of five team. And they hung tough with LSU, even though, I mean, LSU had secondary guys out, but they didn't have their quarterback. So I can't really blame UCF fans for saying what they say. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of epitomizes bowl season. Both teams have guys out either injured or just sitting out because the game doesn't mean anything. And it's like a fascinating game. And the result is something we talk about but we don't really know how much stock to put in it and that's that's bowl season that is bowl season there is no other postseason in sports that has anything like college football bowl season it's it's i do like it you know i do like having well if maryland was in games to to tune into on a random like wednesday afternoon yeah i like teams from the mac and the sun belt you've never heard of before yeah i like that part of it I, I kind of do too, but it's still hilarious. But, you know, that's bowl, that's bowl season in a nutshell. And Lamar, is there anything from bowl season you want to take away that made you laugh? No, but I loved all the Maryland players getting in on the transit win stuff. That is also spectacular. And I have to admit, that was great too. It shows you that Maryland players think like the fans do, which is, which is all you really want in college football, right? It's all you want in college sports. You want the players to be thinking the same way the fans do. Because there is no sport that is more inherently tribal than college sports in this country. And it is passion, insanity, all this. And you, like, you want to see the kids think the same way you do. And when they do, it's kind of like, oh, I feel validated for thinking this ridiculous thing. It's funny. I was not paying attention to as much of it when the Sugar Bowl was going on. I probably should have because then that would have been hilarious. I probably would have enjoyed the Sugar Bowl more than I already did. My favorite, though, is uh, during the first playoff game when everyone's like, uh, everyone from every team that won, like, two games was like, we would have put up a better fight than Notre Dame did. And Maryland was one of those teams. Like, Maryland players were tweeting, put us against Clemson. Well, you know what? That probably did happen in the past, and Maryland still got dump trucked by them, so... Although you could argue that Maryland got out of the ACC at the right time, just before Clemson became really good. I don't know. That's a fair argument, I guess. I mean, when you think about it, like, Clemson's rise to being really good happened just after Maryland left the same division as they were in. Although they went into the same division with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, so I don't know. Yeah. It's oh, like you miss one of them to You miss one, one of them as Florida State goes three. down the tubes to get three others. I mean, you know what? It is what it is. But, hey, the TV check's going to be coming in next year, and that's spectacular. Also, to full, so full circle, Maryland's former uh, defensive coordinator that wasn't very good is now Rutgers' defensive coordinator. And, yeah, 
Sorry, Rutgers. I gotta my say, favorite, guys, I think my favorite Andy Blue story is the last time I saw him in Maryland Stadium, uh, it was like halftime. He was going, like, he was either going or coming from the bathroom and, like, we made eye contact and he just looked scared that, like, he was going to have to answer a question. Like, <laughs> that, that, you know what? Maybe he would be. Maybe he would be scared. I don't know. I, I think, Lamar, you're a good journalist, so you would ask some difficult questions. But we hadn't talked to him all season. Like, they cut coordinators when everything happened. So there was, like, I don't know. I was never going to, like, try to corner Andy Boo and try to get him to answer a question. I think the Maryland message boards might have done that for you. But it shows you what happens when you're a bad team in college football and that it can't get better. Well, at least Andy Boo has a job, and that's nice for him, but he wasn't really great at, you know, coordinating a defense. And now he's going from a team with Maryland that had some talent to um, Rutgers. Can I, at least say, can I at least say that the Maryland win over Rutgers in basketball was a lot of fun? If Rutgers ever got good at basketball, the rack would be a really difficult place to play. And I'm not just saying that because i got family that went to Rutgers and they tell me this all the time. That place actually the rack might was, be difficult. The rack looked actually tough, you know, on Saturday. It's just it's a, that it's tough, it was sold out. smelly gym that is very small and old and it probably is hell to play against if Rutgers was actually good. And they I actually played good I defense. Think, I think this year's version of Rutgers with Corey Sanders would have been interesting. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good shout. I mean, they just they, they can't score for beans, and Maryland ran away against them. But Michigan State had a tough time going in there. They went on the road and almost beat Wisconsin. They're not, a, they're not as terrible as Penn State, whose coach pushed a player and got suspended for it, or Illinois, who has four wins. So Rutgers, I can safely say, is not the worst team in the Big Ten, and that's a step up for them. Their women's team is also somewhat decent, too, because they beat Maryland, and that's unfortunate. But well, the women's team's always been okay, has a Hall of Fame coach, too. Well, yeah, they do have a Hall of Fame coach, and they did once make a national championship game. I think it might have been the year or two after Maryland won, but I don't remember exactly the year. But, yes, they are not a bad basketball program in women's basketball. Uh, but, you know, as Jim Delaney once said, at least Maryland's won conference titles. Anyway, the, I'll hope to try to kill the Rutgers running jokes. In the year 2019. One of these days. One of these days, but this, this show, they actually had to We will about slowly Rutgers. let it to the ground throughout 2019. Oh, if it hasn't already been beaten to the ground, it will be at some point. Trust me. I will eventually, I've brought up the running joke, and I'm eventually going to try to kill it. But thank you very much for sticking with us through our uh, holiday break. We hope you are back in the saddle, and we will be. We will have a podcast next week where we'll talk about more very fun Maryland basketball news, we hope. We're optimistic. Hopefully the optimism doesn't go away. And uh, maybe we'll talk about Maryland's uh, new head coach having just hung up a 50 spot on Clemson. Who knows? Sounds like something I'd like to talk about. But uh, I hope you enjoy the MNF film room on uh, the Megacast tonight. If you do, well, there are people who uh, like many different things, and that's okay. We know that the Monday Night Football booth isn't exactly the most popular booth in the world. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, belated Happy New Year, and of course, no terms.